This creature from the dirt defied the everlasting holy God. Scripture is holy. It is sanctified, set apart from any and all other writings that we have ever had and will ever exist. Self-esteem, that is a satanic idea. You're not as important as you think you are. If you have no desire to know who God is, then can you even be sure that he knows you? The gates of hell itself, or the coronavirus itself, will not stand against Jesus building his church. This is what's wrong with the Christian church today. We don't know who God is. Give us a man who knows the truth. One man, Jew and Gentile, bond and free. One, there is no race in Christ Jesus. Oh, how a man needs to fear God that that man might cling to his word. Give us some preachers who aren't tripping over their skirt to get into the pulpit. What's wrong with you people? This is Matter of Theology, the place where theology matters because everything is a matter of theology. So go figure. I'm Drew, your host, and I don't have my regular host with me today. Josh is working like a madman. Uh, they, they've, they, they've adjusted his schedule to a schedule that he does not like. Um, and Chris is sick, so he probably got that Rona. So you probably need to pray for <laughs> both of them. Um, <clears throat> but I have got two new co-hosts with me today. This is actually going to be like a cruciform, uh, a cruciform podcast because I've got uh, my fellow teachers at the Cruciform Bible Institute, uh, Jared and Jeremy. Jared is teaching our Greek class. So if you want to learn Greek, I mean, he's the guy to talk to. And then Jeremy is doing our apologetics class. So, I mean, oh, wait, whoa, it looks like, could this be, is this, is this for real? Whoa, the man, the myth, the legend himself, the president of Cruciform Ministries and of Cruciform Bible Institute, Brandon Scalf, just entered into the conversation. Bro, what's happening? What's going on, man? Dude, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you took my advice and was like, you know what? I'm going to join in the, on the discussion. Yeah, I don't know how long I'll be on here, but I thought I'd say hi. I got you. I got you. <laughs> you're, you'll probably end up enjoying the whole thing. Uh, I'm just going through my intro, bro. All right. I just introduced. I didn't interrupt you like that. No, nah, you're good, man. I, I was just introducing Jared and Jeremy. So I, told, I, I was just telling the peoples that uh, it's going to be a cruciform episode. Uh, okay. You know, because we're all cruciform ministries. That's right. So, uh, anyways, back to the intro. Uh, we are on Patreon. So, if you'd like to partner with us, head on over to patreon.com/slash matter of theology and become a subscriber. Soon, very, very soon, we will have t-shirts available for those people who want to go purchase t-shirts and rep the podcast. Um, we will let you know when that happens. We're a part of the Christian podcast community. If you would like to check out more Christian podcasts, head on over to strivingforeternity.org. They've got an abundance of podcasts for you to check out. 
Speaking of cruciform ministries, there's a couple of conferences coming up, right? Brendan, why don't you yes. tell us about that? Uh, well, Firstly, we have the in-person Cruciform Conference on Holiness, yep. October 23rd and 24th, with a pre-conference on the 22nd. It's going to be here in Indianapolis, Indiana, and uh, it's going to be a great time. Uh, we have many great speakers uh, coming to preach the Word of God, um, Justin Peters being one, Anthony Mathenia, Justin Huffman, Jeffrey Johnson, and... Uh, Chris Huff, even uh, myself, yeah. and uh, a lot of Hughes. other speakers. It's Gabe Hughes, yes, Gabe from uh, when we understand the text, and uh, many other breakout speakers. And I always like to let everyone know that Michelle Leslie is going to be there as well. So um, she is a um, woman of God that every woman should be listening to. So she'll be there, and uh, it's, it's going to be a great time. And we have early bird tickets going on right now. I'm not sure exactly what the prices are, but I think uh, if you jump on there, it's like 50% off for ministers and then even more of a discount for women. We really want women to be there because we believe that they should be getting mm -hmm. the same theology that everybody else is getting. So, yeah. And they're affordable prices anyway. So it's not like, yes, it, very I mean, I mean, they're not like, you know, outrageously through the roof. They're very affordable for people. Uh, and then in December, is the conference on post-millennialism. That's right. Correct. Yeah, that one kind of snowballed out of control um, <laughs> in a very big way. Uh, but it's, uh, yeah, if I can remember all the names, I mean, it's just, it's, it, it's an incredible lineup. You have uh, Doug Wilson. Um, oh, by the way, uh, if you guys are planning conferences uh, and you ask Doug Wilson to do it, uh, be prepared for the onslaught. I had no idea uh, that we'd be accused of being heretics at the level that we have uh, by just having him come speak. So uh, that's neither here nor there. So we have Doug Wilson. We have uh, Jeff Durbin. We have uh, Kenneth Gentry, Gary DeMar, um, Bruce Gore, uh, which if you don't know who Bruce Gore is, get to know who Bruce Gore is because he's he's, he's the man. Yeah, he's, he's the man for sure. And then we have, uh, who else do we, who else? Oh, uh, you and me, of course. Yeah. Jared uh, yep. and, uh, Cameron Gray, who was another local pastor here in Indianapolis with me. Uh, just a solid lineup. There's another guy who made a documentary you might be familiar with Carl, uh, called on earth as it is in heaven. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I feel like the biggest loser ever, Nathan Anderson. Nathan Anderson. I can, <laughs> yeah. I can't believe I about forgot his name. Which oh, that oh, documentary oh. is, it's on it's on YouTube, right? It yes. just got put on Amazon Prime too. Oh, this week. On, yep. Nice. So. Yeah, go check out that documentary on Earth as as it is in heaven. It is good. Yeah, that doc. It's it very is well so done. good. Very well. So done. good. Yeah, it's got a lot of great information, and it's yes. very accessible. So it's yeah, not like a dense theology book, which I think is very helpful for people as they're navigating. Mm -hmm. Okay, what is postmodernism? Right. But I think more what than he that, did. Well, well, what he did was he kind of took the questions that everyone has about post-millennialism and then he kind of made it, he simplified it and he made it yeah. easy for everyone to understand. And it's put together very beautifully and it, but it flows systematically. Yes. Well, that's one of the things I was about to say is that not only is it just really well done and very informative, but it is absolutely entertaining. Like mm -hmm. you could, it's, you can sit and just enjoy it. 
yeah. which I think is not true of most theological documentaries and or uh, shows that you can watch. So I, I right. think everybody should watch it. Um, it's you know, maybe we should put together a documentary and get him to to put it together for us. That'd be cool. You know, the Cruciform documentary. The making of <laughs> how how we came to be. <laughs> Nobody probably cares about that, but uh, <laughs> yet, yet they haven't seen the documentary. They will after. Right. <laughs> but it's it's going to be a crazy conference. I mean, just the amount of speakers we have. It's definitely going to be two days, December eighteenth and nineteenth, and it's all online. You can donate uh, any amount to get your ticket, even zero dollars. Um, it's it's going to be a great. I mean. Kenneth Gentry is doing three sessions. So if that just kind of gives you a picture of what's going to happen, then yeah. 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 That's going to be awesome. I can't wait for that. Um, but on today's episode, uh, we just kind of threw this together because Chris and I were supposed to be doing, doing an episode. He started not feeling well. So I said, you know what? He's got the COVID. He, he probably does, probably does. Uh, so I said, you know what? I'm going to put together an episode, and I'm going to ask some guys to be on it. And we're going to talk about a topic that Chris doesn't like. We're going to be talking about the Pricope Adultre. That is, if you're, if you're not familiar with that, that is John 7, verse 53, ver, uh, through John 8, verse 11. Yep. Now... It's a famous story, popular story. The woman caught in adultery. It brings about all the emotions of people. It's people's favorite, favorite Bible story. It even made it into the Passion movie. It Passion made it into the Passion yep. movie. That's right. As a flashback. That's uh, right. Which had nothing to do with the actual Passion nope. narrative. But uh, yeah, it made it in there. Uh, <clears throat> but while this is people's favorite story, we have to ask a question because this is one of the two longest uh, textual variants in scripture. The other one being the longer ending of Mark. Does this textual variant even belong in the Bible? Now, first, I mean, we can analyze and say, does it even belong in the passage of John where it finds itself? But does it even belong in the Bible being as long of a textual variant as it is? Um, and then all the other manuscript evidence. So I want to pose this as kind of two questions. One, does it belong in the Bible? And two, do we preach it? So what are your guys' thoughts? Um, going to that first question, does it belong in the Bible? Um, it's pretty generally um, in the, the textual critical world uh, agreed on that it, it's not original to the text, mm -hmm. um, to any text. Um, it, it was probably... Uh, passed down through oral tradition, so it may have actually happened, um, mm -hmm. but it does not belong in the in the text itself. Um, so when we do <coughs> text criticism, we we look at both external and internal uh, evidence, and the external and internal evidence are both weighed pretty heavily against it being in the text. Mm -hmm. uh, I've got some notes here. Uh, the external evidence, uh, Metzger lays out just twenty seven of the manuscripts, not even all of them. Mm -hmm. uh, but 27 of the Greek manuscripts that we have, uh, so uh, that don't include it. You have uh, two papyri, uh, p uh, P66 and 75. You and have I think those are th those two are our most reliable. Yeah, they're mistaken. they're pretty good papyri. You have several codices, uh, including Sinaiticus, which is one of our most reliable codexes, and then uh, Vaticanus also does not include it. 
uh, and you have one, it's like nine other codexes that don't have it in there, uh, several unseals and several minuscules. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not even including other versions like the Syriac and the Coptic. Um, and then internally, uh, linguistically, it doesn't match John. It uh, interrupts the flow of the text. And um, <clears throat> it actually, in different manuscripts, floats around in John. And sometimes it's found in Luke. Mm-hmm. Now, the the thing about Luke, um, because I, I want to say there are manuscripts where it's found in two different places in Luke. Um, one in chapter 21 and one in chapter yep. 24. Yep. But now I was able to get my hands on, and I haven't been able to read all the way through this yet. There was uh, an article that was published uh, years ago in, I think, what is the world's leading textual critical journal called the Novum Testamentum. And the guy who wrote it is a guy named Kyle Hughes. He studied under Dan Wallace. This was uh, his, the, the paper he wrote for his master's. It was to actually to get into a doctoral program. And it's called The Lucan Special Material and the Tradition uh, History of the Pricope Adultery. Now, what he talks about in here is while it's, it, it's not original to John, it matches Luke's writing style. It matches the way Luke uses special sources, which we would call source L, which is the, the oral tradition. Yep. It matches all his uses of that. So he's making a case to say that it doesn't belong in John. And I think manuscript evidence shows that. Yeah. Uh, I, I, think, I think the vast majority of, of textual critical scholars uh, would agree with that. Does not belong in John, not original to John. But there are some that could make a case, and I think Bart Ehrman does as well before he went apostate, um, and Bart Ehrman studied under Bruce Metzger, right. would say that this is actually could be original to Luke. Right. Um, yeah, uh, Metzger makes a point, and you can look all this up, and uh, he's got a textual commentary on the whole New Testament. Metzger does. It's pretty cheap. It's pretty small, too. Um, but he, he, he even makes the note that even scribes that do have it in their manuscripts— um, generally have an asterisk or a little note in the margin uh, <clears throat> that shows um, this is not original. This comes from oral tradition. Right. Uh, this, they're not copying it from the manuscripts, even the ones that have it in mm-hmm. the text, um, right. which is also, uh, it, there's almost no doubt that it's not original to the text. Right, right. And, you know, I heard Dr. White say this one time. He said, one of the ways we can know that a text is not original is when we can take uh, codexes like, uh, I want to say he said Washingtonianus. Uh, what else did he say? I think he, he may have said Sinaiticus or, or uh, Vaticanus, or he said the Byzantine and the Alexandrian. When the Byzantine, mm-hmm. the Alexandrian, and Washingtonianus, uh, which we would say the Western uh, manuscripts, when those all agree, then you need to pay attention. Yeah. And they all agree right. that this does not belong in there because it's not in there. Now, right. I think the, the first place that we see this text appear in John is in Codex D, which is uh, Beze Cantabrigiensis. Mm-hmm. And now that manuscript is actually one of our most unreliable right. texts. So, Jeremy, jump in here. What do you got, man? 
Where do you yeah. go? <laughs> Sorry, I just had to unmute. I didn't want to get any feedback in the background. Oh, I gotcha. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of different ways I think I can go on. And I think you and Jared did a good job explaining uh, the background of it. So I think maybe it could be good now to move into more what do we do if we're preaching through the gospel of John and we get mm -hmm. to this passage? Like, what do we do about preaching it? Do we just skip over it? And uh, I've had uh, two different preachers when I was under their preaching that went through this. The one was when I was in college, my friend Zach Peel was preaching the gospel of John and then he got to it. And then the other one, uh, when I first moved to Indianapolis, the first Sunday I was here, I visited a uh, college park church, Castleton, and they were preaching through the gospel of John and, uh, Tommy Johnston, the pastor of that church, was actually on John 8 that day. And what both Zach and uh, Tommy Johnston did was they preached through it, but they didn't preach through it like a normal sermon. It was actually more of a lecture on textual criticism and why we don't think this is original. So I think that's an interesting way to go about it, to not skip over it, to preach it, but to preach it more as a lesson on textual criticism than mm. as a typical sermon. Mm. That's good. I think, I think that's a good point to make uh, because... I mean, one of the biggest, the biggest weapons that we hand our enemy is an ignorance of our own Bible. And yep. there are many, many Christians today that don't know that this is a textual variant. They don't know all the other textual variants. They, they wouldn't understand. If, if, you, if you were to say, you know, tell me your thoughts about the Kama Yohanium, they would be like, what's that? Right. right? Um, but uh, you know, Brandon, you and I were talking uh, before we jumped on here, and you actually made a couple of great points in what you said um, as far as what to do when we come to this. And so now I want to go and say, I I'm going to say state Chris's position because he's not here. Chris would say, it's in the text, it's in the Bible, you preach it. Now, there, but then there's a whole other group, and, and I, I would say I'm a part of this group. Um, that says it's not original to the text. It's unreliable. You don't preach it, but you had a nice, very in between of what we can do with this text. Yeah, I think that um, what we want to do in the pulpit is we want to uh, equip our people, and I think that that is the most important thing um, to consider. So we have to take both the Word of God seriously and our um, calling to equip our people seriously. And so I, I told you I initially didn't want to be on this podcast because I didn't know exactly where I stood. Um, and I felt like if I was going to be an authority on a topic, I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to have steel in my spine and I wanted to have a you know, very rigid position. Um, but I, I kind of lean towards, yeah, we don't preach this. It's not in the Bible. And uh, I take the text very seriously. Um, it's infallible, it's sufficient, and it is completely inerrant. And I want to help my people understand that um, at the same time, we do exist within a tradition. And this text has been preached for many, many, many years. And so I want to be careful. And I haven't went through John, I haven't preached through John. So I haven't been, uh, you know, presented with what are you going to do definitively. So I, I can see the benefits and um, well, I can see the benefits of both sides. I can see the benefit of saying, I'm not going to touch this uh, because it's not in the Bible. And what we do here is we preach the Bible. Mm -hmm. um, but I can also see benefits in saying, okay, there's probably an oral tradition situation going on here. 
um, it can't be proved that this didn't happen. We can only prove that it wasn't in the Bible. So what would it look like to preach it in such a way that would help people understand textual criticism? Or, and here's a, something I think maybe I heard John Piper talk about once, um, what could it look like to preach this as an illustration uh, as it pertains to the heart of Jesus? Like, how does the God, how does this show the gospel and its beauty and its glory and its uh, compassion? Because it's a very compassionate story, right? And it does speak of gospel truth. There's nothing in it that would uh, take away from the truth that's found in scripture, the truth of the gospel, only some upon it. So, we, how could we preach that? Well, when if I'm thinking through it now, like if we're sitting at a you know an elder table and we're thinking, okay, how do we want to go about this? How do we want to best equip our people? I think the pulpit is not a time for a lecture. So I agree with Jeremy in that I think that we should use this time to shape our people and help them understand. Okay, how do we look at textual criticism? But like that's not what we're there to do on Sunday morning, right? Um, and so so we want to do it in such a way that inflames their heart, you know, not just puff them up intellectually. So I don't, I mean, I'm kind of, I can kind of go either way. That's why I said, I don't know what I would do in that situation. I would want to hear your guys' thoughts, what would be most beneficial, but but I, I kind of think like, I'm not going to unreservedly just say, let's preach this thing and just never mention the textual criticism and totally say it's in, in the Bible. So I would think maybe that I would, uh, disagree with Chris in that regard, although I don't know that he would say that he wouldn't say anything about textual criticism. Um, yeah, but I would, think that he, I would. He would. Uh, he would address the fact that it's you know the textual critical errors. He would. He would address that, but he would still uh, uh, preach it. Um, I he, he, here here's a the, the the best way to say it. You know, it, Steve Lawson recently preached that passage, and Steve Lawson preached it as though it was in the text. But before he did, he prefaced it by saying, you know, the earliest and most reliable manuscripts, uh, you know, don't contain this passage. Um, and he went through some of the textual arguments, but then he said, but it's in the Bible. It's in my Bible. So I'm going to preach it. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> Yeah. But I, I mean, I think, so here's where my mind goes instantly when I hear that is like, well, you kind of undermine your, your, your argument in terms of like textual, like how can I trust you when it comes to textual criticism? If you're saying that the reason you use the translation you do, the reason that you say the things that you say, when you start digging into the Greek language and start explaining what that means, mm-hmm. all of a sudden you're in a situation where like, well, now if tradition says it, then like it's good. And so that can get into some other hairy topics right, as it pertains right. to like Catholicism and, and different things like right. that. So like, where, where do you draw the line? Mm-hmm. You know, you kind of, you kind of cut your own hands off at that point. So mm-hmm. I don't know, man, like, that's why I said, I didn't really want to be on here. Uh, but, <laughs> uh, but, but no, I think, I think that um, like, I don't know if this is true or not, so you can correct me, but John MacArthur, I don't, I'm getting more so into him, uh, you know, the more I age, but I never listened to him when I was a, uh, in my early Christian days, because I was a charismatic guy. And so I was like, this guy's the devil. <laughs> so I, I did not listen to him a ton, but as I've listened to him more and more, like he even skips over the italicized words in the new American standard. Does he not? Or I, is that true? Or uh, I, I know he's done that. that that's sometimes. a question. That's, that's a Chris question. Uh, oh. y- you'd have to ask Chris that. Um, 
I don't, I, I don't listen to every sermon that MacArthur preaches. Um, <laughs> so is it, that, that's definitely, well, Chris definitely does. Yeah. <laughs> he definitely does. <laughs> Not that that's uh, bad, but, uh, I, no, I just, John MacArthur is great. Um, I was just saying that like, I, so I think that there is something when you think through preaching and I'm, you're teaching a preaching class for our Institute. And so you might pick up on what I'm saying here, but there's like a couple different elements to preaching with like the logos ethos and pathos. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's a certain element here where like you want your ethos to come across and you want people to be able to trust you. And so like, if you're speaking out of both sides of your mouth, when you get into the pulpit and you're saying, well, text, textual criticism really matters. Mm-hmm. But then like, let's just ignore it because of tradition. Like, Mm-hmm. I feel like that's a weird stance to take as a pastor. Yeah. Uh, so, and I don't know. I mean, maybe that, well, what do you think about that, Jared? Cause like you're really big into textual criticism. Yeah. Right. And you are not the lead pastor of a church. Like if, if you, if you're coming to my church and um, as Jeremy does <laughs> and, uh, and I get out there and I said, this is not in the Bible. Textual, criti- textual criticism is really important. Uh, but this is in my Bible. So just ignore that. Like what, how would you feel? What would you think? Like, how would you yeah like like you said it'd be hard to like trust you because it would almost feel like well it kind of seems like you didn't actually think like it was that that important because you preach it anyway uh but also i i think that uh just saying the words textual criticism is important uh is not very helpful to the layman if that makes sense um i i think textual criticism and uh this is where i would probably differ from you brandon is uh, important to be explained why we do this, how we do this, even um, and and why it's important. Why textual criticism actually helps us be uh, actually gives us more a more dependable text, right? If I just get up there and say, "Well, textual criticism is is important," uh, and then go, "But here, let's just preach it." Um, right. Well, not, that's, that's not what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah I know. Obviously, I'm oversimplifying. Um, <laughs> but anyways, um, yeah, I think. I think there's a way to talk about textual criticism from the pulpit um, that is both helpful to the layman and and not just puff up and intellectually, but um, uh, gives us more uh, a firmer foundation in our text and shows us, hey, our manuscripts, our text is trustworthy. Mm-hmm. Um, now, to answer your question, what would I do if, uh, like, I was a layman, I was a layman, I came to your church and you preached it. Um, I mean, you preach it. There's not a whole lot I can do to change that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, but uh, like, it, it's it's certainly not an issue. Like, I would leave a church over if that makes sense. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, I yeah. if you preach it, I wouldn't be like, well, that guy is definitely not a Christian. Now, here's uh, one of right. the things that, uh, that that go through my mind. And Jared, you and I talked about this earlier today, and that's the dealing with the inspiration of the text, yep. right? Because if I'm coming to a text that I know that the Holy Spirit did not inspire John to write, but yet it's in my text, right? Well, I want to be honoring to the text and what the Holy Spirit inspired John to write. I want to be God honoring. So therefore I can't actually preach a text that wasn't inspired by the apostle to write. Um, because that, that's I would say that's actually dishonoring to the spirit. However, I think there is an aspect where when we come to this, you know, we we don't ignore it, but we can say, 
we can actually preach on the gospel and we can use this as an illustration like we would anything else uh, that we bring in. You know, we bring in illustrations from our life um, and things like that uh, to, to make our points Be because this story does demonstrate the nature, the heart, the character of Christ. Uh, it is a good display of the gospel uh, in its in its practicality and its outworking. Um, so we could preach on the gospel and use this as an illustration. But at the same time, if we were to actually remove this text completely, there are still other places we could go to to use an illustration that reveals God's or, or Jesus's heart, his character, uh, the outworking and practicality of the gospel. So it's one of those really tricky things where it's like I can understand where if someone wants to preach it and use it as an illustration aspect uh, in preaching the gospel. I can't preach it as a text, as inspired text because there's no evidence that actually says it's inspired text. All the evidence actually says the opposite. Uh, so it is, it's one of those things that just kind of racks my brain. Uh, but I'm with you that if I go, if I were to go into a church and you know, the pastor is preaching on that text, that's nothing to leave that church over. Right. <clears throat> yeah. There are much bigger things to worry about than uh, textual criticism. I think. Right. Leave a church over. Yeah. Jeremy, go ahead, man. Yeah. So um, if a pastor was really wanting to preach this, I think one thing he could do is explain that because this is found in multiple different places and Luke and John, that while it's not original to the text, go into a bit of textual criticism, then he could say, but I do believe this is probably something that actually happened. It's mm -hmm. just extra biblical. So I'm not going to treat it as the inerrant word of God because it's not, but I think it probably actually happened. So I'm going to kind of preach through it like a normal text and see what we could learn from it. I think I'd be okay with a pastor doing something like that. Sure, sure. Yeah, because I think there is evidence that this was a real oral story that actually happened. Yeah. Um, so so I think I think a case can be made for that. The 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 real issue is does it belong in scripture? And right. I think I, I think there is evidence that says no it doesn't. Um, but since it is in there, we do have to answer the question of what do we do with it? And that's really hard. So for those of you who would not touch it with a 10 foot pole, um, would you just skip to the next text or would you, uh, and like just completely out of sight, out of mind and just boom, push through, or would you say, okay, look, um, I'm going to do a sermon on textual criticism to some degree, or would you just preface the sermon, the next sermon that would be in line uh, with, hey, just so you know, yes, we did skip. And here's a brief explanation as to why. Now here's the real text. What would you do? Go yeah, ahead, uh, personally, if I if I was preaching through the Gospel of John, um, <clears throat> I, I don't know if I would devote an entire sermon to laying out like, here's all the manuscripts that it doesn't appear in. Here's the manuscripts it does appear in. Here's... Uh, all the church fathers. And, <laughs> that, and like that's a great way for people to leave your church. <laughs> right. I've actually uh, seen that happen. I've, I've, yeah. I've seen that happen. Yeah. Like you said, I don't think the pulpit's a place for like an academic lecture. That's mm -hmm. not what I want to turn it into. Um, I would, I would take one or two approaches. I've never had to make the decision. 
so these are the two decisions I would have to choose from in my own head. Uh, either one, I would spend the time talking about the trustworthiness of the text because and, while also talking about textual criticism, because uh, I think what tends to happen is people will see those double brackets in their English Bible and they go, oh, I have to throw away my Bible now. Right. Um, uh, because I have no idea what's happening here. Um, and I can't trust my text, obviously, if I can't trust these like 12 verses, um, which itself is kind of crazy. Um, and so I either spend the whole sermon talking about our, the trustworthiness of the text and, and how we can rely on the word of God and what we have um, historically, not just academically, but um, in the Christian life, um, that, that that which we base everything on uh, is trustworthy. Or two, um, spend about 10 minutes walking through, hey, this is the case. This is why I'm not preaching this text. Uh, now let's get into our next text, um, mm -hmm. which I think that would be the the better of the two options. Yeah. Yeah. As we're talking, I think that that's probably yeah. the route I would take. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, but I think this also brings up another point. As we're talking, I'm thinking, okay, well, this actually is something that reveals the importance of discipleship. Like you can't just have a situation where everybody's getting all their information on Sunday morning. Right. Like, I would hope by the right. time I got to that point that my people would have some sort of um, understanding of right. textual criticism, understanding like what, how we view uh, scripture as a church and these sorts of things. So I think yeah. that's a, that could be a whole nother topic, but yeah. I'm hoping that like, this isn't just something that takes their breath away. That, yeah. What, you know, what's going on here? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. If uh, And to plug a podcast I listened to, Michael Kruger and James White did a talk together at a G3 conference on discipleship and how textual criticism and the mm -hmm. canon fit into it. Um, and so if you're a pastor and you're looking for resources, that's a great one. It's on YouTube. You can just look it up. Yeah. Yeah. I listened to that while I was working because I couldn't yep. go to G3 that year. And that was at like eight o'clock in the morning and I was listening yep. to it for yep. sure. Um, you, you know, and thinking about that question, cause that's a good question. What do you do when you, you're preaching, you're preaching through John, you come, you come to that. What do you do? Um, part of my, my issue is that that passage of scripture interrupts the flow Um of the rest of John seven and into John eight. Um, so what I would probably do if that were me, I would preach through John seven in omitting those passages uh, so that there's a clear flow of scripture. But then I would go back and say, we miss this portion that or actually what i would probably do is i would before i even preach that sermon i would say i'm going to take these out and this is why and then preach through uh so that there's some continuity so that there's a nice uh pretty flow in the text and then go back and explain these passages of scripture um that's one thing i would do or uh preach through it and then take that passage of scripture and then I would take a break from the rest of the gospel of John and I would preach on the gospel, the topic of the gospel and say, um, after giving a preface of textual criticism, not very long because you don't want to bore people. Uh, right. it's not the place for lectures. I even in my lecture, I even say that, uh, it's not a place for lectures. Uh, so about 10 minutes, something super quick, Jeremy, like you said, and then preach on the gospel 
let that be a topical sermon on the gospel and then just say this is an illustration of the gospel so i mean i think topical, i think we so expository preaching can have topical sermons but you're using the text to expose okay job. bro you know what i think i got an opening in my preaching class if you want to join <laughs> <laughs> One of the ways is topical. You just got to be able to do it right. Yeah, I'm okay with topical preaching as long as it's done uh, expositorily. That's right. So, That's right. Yeah, I think I heard Matt Chandler say that one time. He did. I'm I fine with topical as long as it's uh, done exegetically. Yeah. 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 You, Matt Chandler says some things that are that are. Great. That was old Matt Chandler. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was, that was, that was before he woke Chandler. up. Before woke Chandler. Yeah. Exactly. So I mean. Jeremy, what are your thoughts on uh, on that? I mean, we've I mean, we've thrown out some ideas. Um, if you were in the pulpit and you come to this passage, you know, uh, what's kind of the approach that you're taking? Yeah. Um, before I get into that, I was thinking the same thing you were that this really messes up the flow that those several chapters they are building because it's kind of this back and forth between Jesus and the Pharisees for like three chapters straight, and then if this is original, then John just interact inter interrupts that whole flow of like three chapters long dialogue between Jesus and the Pharisees with 12 verses of this random story that has nothing to do with that. So it definitely messes up the flow yeah. where it's placed in the gospel of John. So um, yeah. yeah, if I was a pastor, if I was preaching this, I think um, when it comes to pastors thinking about what they're going to do with this text, when it's just any decision making where you're really not sure what the right answer is and what you should do, I think a good way that you can try to help your decision-making is to consider all your options and then think, uh, you know, if whatever option I went with was wrong, what would be the downfall of choosing that option and it being the wrong one? So if you preach this passage hmm. and it turns out that it really is not original, which we all think it's not original, then you're preaching something as if it's the word of God when it's not. It'd be no different hmm. than you preaching from the Apocrypha saying it's the word of God. Hmm. Yeah. But then if That's you don't preach this passage and it was original, then you're just not preaching a passage of scripture. Very few pastors preach every single verse of the entire Bible during their pulpit ministry. Right. So on the one hand, you're preaching something that's on the same level as the Apocrypha. On the other hand, you're just missing a passage when you're not probably not going to preach every verse in the Bible unless you're John MacArthur in your pulpit ministry. I mean, I would love to be a guy that preaches through every verse of the Bible, but I don't know that that's going to happen. <laughs> not if you're preaching like a single verse a week, it's not. I mean, that, I mean that's what Calvin did, but Calvin like also me. preached like five days a week too. Right, so right. He could do that. <laughs> uh, I have a question for y'all, if I'm allowed to do that. I don't know if I'm allowed to do that or not. but Go for it, man. Um, with, you're a co-host tonight. <laughs> uh, with passages of scripture like this, um, how would you explain it to a layman um, that we can still trust our Bibles? Mm. Yeah, I think um, there's an analogy that I really like to use with that. I'm pretty sure I stole this from James White or from someone. I definitely did not come up with this. But uh, textual criticism, think of it like a thousand-piece puzzle. Think of the original manuscripts in the New Testament as a thousand-piece puzzle. We're trying to put that thousand-piece puzzle together, and it's not that we have 990 pieces and we're missing 10. It's we have a thousand and ten pieces, and we're just figuring out which ten weren't original. Yeah. 
we have yeah. the original manuscripts and all of our totality of manuscripts that we have. There's just a few that we're pretty sure weren't in the original manuscripts and we're trying to figure out which ones they are. And after hundreds of years of textual criticism study, we pretty well have it narrowed down which ones aren't original. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I think that that's a good point. And, uh, uh, I, I mean, Bart Ehrman tries to do that tactic all the time. You know, Bart Ehrman, who did, you know, phenomenal work in textual criticism before he, he became an apostate. Yeah, he was uh, under Bruce Metzger. He was his yeah, last PhD student. That's right. And so, but but he tries, he, he's probably, I, I think, what, the world's leading New Testament critic is what he is today. Um, yeah, like attacker of the New Testament. Attacker of the New yeah. Testament, yeah. Yep. Um, and he tries to do that all the time. And he actually did that with James White in a debate. And the the whole point was to say, we don't know what the text says. We can't get back to the original. And Dr. White said, give me one place where we can't get back to the original. And Bart Ehrman gave him one place. But the problem with that is it was a contextual emendation. It was the difference between one letter, which was the difference of a place or a name. It had yep. nothing to do with any kind of doctrine or any, right. or it was not a viable textual uh, variant. Yeah, I heard. As a matter of, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, as a matter of fact, he actually said that in the back of one of his books. And Daniel Wallace, when he would debate him, would actually post that on the screen for everybody to read before they started their debate and was like, hey, look, uh, I already won. Like, he admits that there is no textual variant here that is going to obscure doctrine. Yeah. Uh, and eventually they pulled the quote out of the book so that it wouldn't be there so that they could market right. this book differently. But he even admits <clears throat> that. So he's standing on faulty ground anyhow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He said it also in an interview when, when that book, uh, Misquoting Jesus, came out. Um, they, the person had read his book and uh, they asked him, you know, well, what do you think? Uh, they asked him two questions. The first question was, well, what do you think the original Bible talked about? What do you think it was about? Because um, obviously he doesn't think that we, we had the original text anymore. And he said, I think it's about a man who came, uh, died, and rose again on the third day. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then he <laughs> later, he answers another question. And they say, well, where do you think it changes Christian doctrine, these, these issues, these variants? And he said, well, I don't think it changes it at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was, that was an interview with uh, uh, John Stewart, The Daily Show with John Stewart. Yep. Uh, is where that was. Yeah. Uh, which is funny because Dr. White pointed that out. He said, well, what do you think if we don't have the original text in manuscripts, what do you think the story was about? He's like, uh, it's about Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> so, but that just goes to show, you know, those in textual criticism that want to try to refute scripture and the reliability of the new Testament, even the world's leading uh, critic of the new Testament even says, well, this is what the Bible's about. It's a, it it it's about Jesus. Yeah, um, yeah. There's the, the it, we can get back to the original. Yeah, even though all his debates are trying to say the opposite. Right. Uh, he he has to affirm that he's standing on faulty ground, Brandon, like yep. you said, because he's already been proven wrong. Right. Yeah, it's funny that he says, you know, we we don't know what the original Bible said. We we can't get back to it, but he knows that this can't be it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so what is? 
Uh-huh. Right. So he seems to have some idea of what it, what it is because this isn't it. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting how that happens. Man, uh, I think this was was a great discussion on textual criticism. And Brandon, you didn't want to come on. Next time we'll talk about what unseals are for everybody. Uh, what? That'd be great. I'd love that. Yeah, Jared would love that. So, <laughs> so I have to, man. So episodes like this are great for nerds like us. Yep. Um, so I, I don't know how many of our listeners want to nerd out like us. Yep. Yeah. I think we've proven, we've shown though why every pastor should be worried about it. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. 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 But I mean, is if you're, if you're listening to this episode and you're like, Oh my goodness, this show is so boring. Who cares? <laughs> like just give me the Bible or something in the culture and make me laugh and say something that's just hard hitting. Um, this stuff is actually important. This yeah. stuff is really important. Well, I think that let me do a cruciform Bible Institute plug here. Um, this, <laughs> This is why uh, I wanted to start this institute and why I think it's so important. Um, we need pastors in the pulpit uh, that have steel in their spine, that actually yeah. understand what's going on with the text. I mean, we're looking outside. The world's crazy, and uh, it's only getting crazier now. We're, we're good post-mill Christians, right? So we believe <laughs> that, that, that that's not the end of the story. But we, but we have to realize that war is around the corner, and so how do yeah. we do that? Well, we do right. that. By arming ourselves mm-hmm. with good theology, good understanding of what's going on in the text. And so if you're a pastor or you're wanting to be a pastor and you're feeling called, like these are not issues that you can just sweep under the rug. Now, I know yeah. I started off talking like I don't know where I stand on this, but by the time I get in the pulpit, like I should I should have an opinion and they should be well informed and, yeah. and, and have an opinion. It's not just based on, well, John Piper said this or John MacArthur right. said this, like we have to get to a place where we can wrap our minds around what's going on in the text. Yeah. And if you don't understand what's going on in the text, then you're, then you're not a preacher. You're something yeah. else. And so, That's right. um, so I, I think that now, whether you need the Greek language or the Hebrew language, I mean, I think it's important. I think you should, I do. And we're trying to equip men to do that, but I'm, I'm not going to die on the hill, but what you need to do is you need to understand what's going on in the world. And, mm-hmm. and one of the reasons is we've talked about Bart Ehrman, like he's not shutting up and no, like, right. what are you going to do in the pulpit? And what are you going to do as a pastor when this is the information that your people are getting? And if you can't speak to that, yeah. well, you, you've, <clears throat> you've, you've enabled just rampant ignorance in your church or you've enabled distrust. And so right. like, mm-hmm. do, do your work, pastor, do your work, preacher. Yeah. do your work. And uh, do it with joy and, yeah. and get in there. So come to Cruciform Bible Institute. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, well, I mean, you brought up a point, uh, and it was something that I was going to hit on in, in of why it's important to know these things, why you don't just gloss over it, why you don't ignore it, why you don't just say— for proof. Yeah. Well, why you don't just say, well, it's in the text, therefore it's, you, you know, it, it's all right with me. Well, that's because Bart Ehrman has underlings. Yeah. And—, and like the youth in your church go to secular schools that have people that, that do read yeah. books by Barterman. They li- listen to Barterman lectures. They listen to the atheist arguments. Right. So just for the very purpose of wanting to disprove the Christians and their right. texts. So right. 
part of being a pastor is like you said, Brandon, at the beginning of the show, equipping the saints. And part of the way we do that is by studying these things. What is in scripture, why it's in there, what, you know, the, the, the 1000, uh, 10 piece puzzle, what doesn't belong in there, what, John wrote compared to what a scribe somewhere thinks John should have written. These are the things that are important and your congregation needs to know these things and be equipped with these things. Yeah. Um, that's a good point. And, and Bart Ehrman is not writing books for the academic world anymore. He is writing books aimed at the layman mm -hmm. aimed at just regular people. Um, and, uh, and, and so they are, like you said, they are exposed to these arguments. Mm -hmm. Um, it's just the, the question is whether or not you're going to be able to respond to them or not. Right. Pastor. Um, and uh, uh, to add on to all of those things, I agree with all those things. Uh, another reason why this is all important, the reason you should study these things, Pastor, uh, and, and come learn Greek at CBI, um, is because ultimately the question with textual criticism is what is the Bible? Mm -hmm. um, what is the text that we should be, that we should deal with and the, and the text that we should respect? And, um, and so it's, it's incredibly important. It's yeah. one of the most in, important questions right i mean and and let, let, let's go back to to the pericope adultery a 12 verse long textual variant that within itself has a number of textual variants so yeah i i don't think there's any other passage of scripture <laughs> that has that many textual variants within it as i think the longer ending of mark does yeah um yeah, yeah which just demonstrates yeah. right those additions that aren't original yeah. Right? And even, right. but even the longer ending of Mark, there's more manuscript evidence for that than there is the right. Pericope Adultery. Oh, by far. Yeah. 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 Um, what is, uh, I think you're up to date on the CBGM stuff. Isn't there, isn't there a, a consensus about the longer ending of Mark for this, for CBGM? I haven't heard about CBGM. Um, I do think there's more uh, of an agreement that it belongs there. Uh, than the Pericope Adultery does. Um, I know with the CBGM, they 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 know that uh, the shorter ending of Martin is not the original. Mm. That's the that's the only thing that I've heard, or mm. um, and I'm not up to date on all the arguments. Uh, there is a book that's it's like a four views book on the longer ending of Mark uh, that a pastor can go pick mm. up, and it's supposed to be pretty low level for all gotcha. that too. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, gents. Well, I think it's about time to wrap this episode up. Um, we hope that we have encouraged you, pastor, layman, professor, whoever you are listening to this, that you would actually take an interest in textual criticism because it's important to know what is in your Bible and why it's in there uh, and how to defend against the arguments from someone like a Bart Ehrman uh, that, that will, it's only a matter of time, it will come against you. Yep. Um, and you need to be prepared. Uh, Peter tells us, right? We need to be prepared to give a defense. Um, and if you really want to learn how to be prepared, come to CB, uh, CBI because we have an apologetics teacher named Jeremy. Uh, and I'm sure he's going to be teaching uh, possibly some things about this. Maybe. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Are you Jeremy? Yeah. Um, so actually last year for a men's muster boot camp, I talked about the reliability of the New Testament. So that's going to at least be part of a lecture. 
I have to decide whether I'm going to do a lecture of just common issues, talk about reliability of New Testament, reliability of the Old Testament, uh, homosexuality, things like that. There are some of the most common arguments we face. Or if I'm just going to do the entire lecture just on textual criticism. So still working that out. It's probably going to be trying to do several different issues because there's so many things to cover in apologetics. It would be hard to do well, we still an entire have those videos just on textual well criticism on the new or everything else I need to cover. Okay, great. And, and for CBI, I know uh, Jared and I have been talking about doing some kind of a textual critical class. A whole uh, class. A whole class. Uh, for Greek students. Yeah. So, so it, that would only be for uh, the pastoral track, yep. uh, which, which Greek is for, is, is for the pastoral track. Um, textual critical, because it only makes sense. Textual right. In order to fully under understand textual criticism, you have to have at least a basic ability to to understand uh, Greek. Um, yeah, you got to be able to at least read the variants. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> you, you got to know <laughs> the difference between a name and a place, depending right. on one letter. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's funny. That's true. Uh, but I, I, I mean, and we've talked about this, the two most important things that I think actually any Christian needs, not just a pastor, but any Christian is a, a working knowledge of Greek in church history. So come take Greek at Christopher Bible Institute. That's right. I kind of want to throw this in here at the end, if I could, uh, parents, like if you go to any sort of college campus and do evangelism, uh, you will see very quickly that there are professors arming your children with the idea that they can't trust their Bibles and yep. using things like Bart Ehrman. So yeah, layman, pastor, preacher, mm -hmm. teacher, yes. But like dad, dad, take these yep. things seriously so that you could be discipling your children because they are going to get a different worldview when they leave yep. your home and go to college. And this is something I'm seeing a ton of. And so um, if you think that's for the pastor, that's for the teacher, that's mm -hmm. for, you know, the guys in leadership of the church, no, like that's for you. That's for yeah. your family. Yeah. Uh, get them armed. And I think that the longer that I'm a pastor and the longer that I'm thinking, uh, the longer that I'm thinking about these things, I'm thinking like, like own it in your house. Um, and mm -hmm. so um, if you're out there and you're listening to this and uh, you're about to send your kids off to college, like they're going to be confronted with a different worldview. So like arm them. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So yeah, that's kind of just something well, 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 no, I mean, because you're up in Indiana, right? And you experienced right. that down here in Georgia. I had a friend that when she went through college, uh, she had a I believe it was a lit class and they were supposed to be going all over all these different books of literature. But the professor the entire time spent every class wanting to disprove the Bible. Mm. I mean, every class. And she would text me saying, my professor just said this. What do I say back? And that just goes to show the college student needs an understanding of how to defend scripture, the reliability of the New Testament. Uh, so, yeah, not just for uh, the professor, the pastor, um, but for mom, for dad. This, is, yeah. this definitely needs to be part of uh, family worship, family discipleship, yeah. uh, growing in these things. And come to CBI because we're going to yep. – I mean, we have a passion to teach all these things. That's right.
So, but with that, we're going to get out of here. I want to thank my co-hosts and also my fellow laborers in the ministry, teachers at CBI, workers at Cruciform Ministry, um, Jared, Jeremy, and Brandon. And I'm kind of glad Chris wasn't here. That way we can talk <laughs> about him. That way we can talk about him behind his back. We love Chris. Yeah. We do love Chris. And Chris is a part of Cruciform Ministries. He is director of Cruciform Ministries. Um, so if you have any complaints, feel free to message Chris. <laughs> I'm just going to say that right now. But we're getting out of here. We'll check you guys on the next one. Peace. <laughs>